I want to uh, kind of get you to move to a different little space, at least in your mind, though. Imagine this, as we start this new series in Philippians called Growing in Christ, which we're really excited about. Imagine this, and if you need to close your eyes, it's okay. Imagine that you are in prison, that you're in prison. Now, that's not really a cheery thought for a Sunday morning, right? But a lot of us like prison stories, watch them on Netflix, movies. So put yourself in prison. Now, I didn't say go to prison. I'm not hoping any of you go to prison. I've only visited prison, not as a resident, not as an overnighter, but just to visit some people. And think about that, that prison cell that you're in. It's dark, it's dank, it's tight, spaced. You're sitting there, and you're wondering, why am I here? And you're not there because of any crime that you've committed, at least before God. You're there because you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've told others about him. That's why you're in prison. And for some of you who think that's pretty far-fetched, well, it's not because in the world today, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are in prison. In fact, I read this week from Open Doors USA that there's an estimated 50,000 50, believers, people that are our family who are in prison because of the name of Jesus Christ in, in North Korea. And that's just one country, 50,000. So, what if we were in prison for our faith? Now, here in Canada, we haven't had such open persecution. Yes, we're marginalized. Yes, we're ignored. But maybe someday we might be in prison for our faith. And think about the fact that you're in that prison and, and you have some words for your loved ones. But more importantly for this church, what would you write? What would you write the Temple Baptist Church, your church family, if you're in that prison? What words would you want to encourage them with? What words of hope? Have you got those words in your mind? That's really the situation we find as we turn in the, to the letter of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. We find a man who is writing a letter to a church that he founded. In fact, it's the very first church that he founded in Europe. And he loves this church very much. It's the church at Philippi in ancient Greece. Now, some of you may remember um, about Philippi. Because um, when Paul went to Philippi, the very first person that gave their life to Christ was actually a woman, a businesswoman. Does anybody remember her name? Lydia, right? Seller of purple, making purple dye, probably making beautiful clothes and linens and all those types of things. And, and Paul goes to the place of prayer, interesting, goes there and meets this woman named Lydia and leads her to Christ and her whole household saved. Paul and his partner in the gospel, Silas, also have another experience at Philippi. 
they're thrown in prison. Maybe you remember this story. And um, they're thrown in prison, and all of a sudden, through prayer, singing, hymns, and, and all this, God sends an earthquake and breaks open the doors of the prison. And this is the chance for all the prisoners to escape, right? But Paul and Paul Silas say, no, no, don't run away, don't run away. Which just shows how much the Holy Spirit had been working in the whole, the whole prison. And, um, and the jailer was just about to commit suicide because he knew that the soldiers were going to kill him if he let any of those prisoners escape. And Paul and Silas say, no. Don't kill yourself. And then they, they tell him about the good news of Jesus Christ, right? And the jailer and his whole household get saved and baptized. And so that's really the foundation of this church at Philippi. A businesswoman and a jailer and their households. And so when you have those kinds of experiences, you're going to love Love that location. You're going to love that church. And Paul is writing to this church that he very much loved. Now, he had been in prison for some time. Scholars debate this, but I'm pretty sure that he was in Rome because he talks about the household of Caesar later on in the letter of Philippi. And um, it's been a long journey, many years. He first got arrested in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel. He's been on trial with various governors, Festus and Felix. And because he was a Roman citizen, he had the right to stand trial before the emperor Caesar. And so that's what he does. And in fact, if you want to read this in your small groups, in your, church, in your families this week, to get the bigger story, you can read Acts chapter 21 through 28. And you'll get the, the larger picture, the whole story of this. It's really exciting. In fact, if you want to learn just the background, the, the kind of the logistics of what this, is, this, uh, this book is all about and this letter is all about, uh, we prepared, uh, Dr. Wayne Baxter actually did prepare uh, Philippians, some historical background, and we encourage you, you can find this in your bulletin. Also, our, our um, pastor's pick of the month is, is Dr. Baxter's book, Growing Up to Get Along, Conflict and Unity in Philippians, which is in our library. So if you want to kind of have a companion guide as we walk through Philippians, I think this will, this will be very helpful. But in this letter, we have Paul, who's a church, le- a church planner, and he, he's, he's writing a letter to this church that he very, very much loves. How could I kind of help us to think about this? Can you imagine if Pastor Aaron Ottaway much beloved Pastor Aaron Ottaway, who went and planted a church in South Cambridge, was thrown in jail for the gospel. And he starts writing a letter to this church that he loves so much. What would he say? What would you say? Writing brings hope both to the person in prison and the the people outside of prison. And if you're having a, yourself a hard time imagining yourself in prison, just pretend, pretend like I'm writing to you then. What would I say to you? Now remember in this day, Nero, uh, Nero is the Caesar. And the Apostle Paul 
is what some scholars call Nero's suite. He's, he's, it's not a suite, though. It's not luxurious at all. He's, he's standing before two guards, and he's trying to get a message out to the people that he loves so much. And we know that what's so important when you're, when you're in prison is you do not lose hope. You might lose your, your uh, friends. You might lose your family. In fact, lots of times when people are in prison, people abandon you. And certainly you lost your freedom. But what you can't lose is you cannot lose hope. you got to keep your faith. you got to keep your hope. Max Lucado talks about a, a prisoner in a concentration camp. And on the wall in the concentration camp, he wrote this. I believe in the sun even though it doesn't shine. I believe in love even when it isn't shown. I believe in God even... When he doesn't speak. Can you imagine the person that etched those words? And yet they didn't lose hope. They didn't lose faith. They couldn't see. But the righteous do not live by sight but by faith in the Son of God, right? So do you see the unseen? The righteous will live by faith. This is really important to see whether we're making progress. Because some of us just don't feel like we're making much progress. But I want to tell you that we are committed to growing in Christ. So it begs the question, do you see yourself growing in Christ? To be more like Jesus in ever-increasing ways? Maybe it's even incremental. Maybe it's not in great ways, but do you see yourself growing in Jesus? Are you becoming more loving? Are you becoming more knowledgeable? Are you becoming more discerning? How about more pure? How about more blameless? I guess you're either blameless or not, but you're growing in, in your blamelessness. How about are you growing in your fruitfulness, in righteousness? Maybe this week you feel like you just stumbled and you're so discouraged. You're like, John, I don't feel like I'm growing. May I remind you that God is not finished with you. God is going to continue to do the work. That we are not doing this alone. You are partners with him in your growth and becoming more like Jesus. Not to bring great encouragement to you. Another great encouragement is this, is you have people praying for you. Did you realize that there are 100 million Chinese believers in China? And you might think all the news is about the coronavirus virus and all, all that has happened there and all the people are staying away. The gospel is, is not at all hindered by that. In fact, I love what the Chinese believers, often they're threatened with jail and they'll tell their captives, oh, you're going to throw me in jail? Great, it'll give me just more time to pray and I'll plant a church in jail, right? And so what I've read about Chinese believers is they have actually committed to praying for you and for me. To praying for the church in the West that is often anemic, that's not growing. So we have many believers in China who are praying for us today. Did you realize that today? That's awesome, awesome news. When we look back to Philippians chapter 1, we see that Paul was actually praying for the church at Philippi. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? And we're going to find that, that 
despite the fact that Paul's in prison, that there's actually a greater opportunity for him. Think about this. Next time you're driving by, here's my challenge. You're driving by Milton. You know the jail, the prison you see on the 401. Okay? Most of us can't get in there, nor do we want to be, right? Could you pray? Could you pray, God, would you save some people in there who will become missionaries in that jail and prison? And that they will be salt and light in that prison. This is what Apostle Paul has done in Nero's suite in the prison in Rome. Starting in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1, you can Google this and, or smart, use your smartphone if you haven't found it yet. Verse 1 says this, Paul and Timothy, servants or slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are Philippi with the overseers, the elders and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer uh, with what? Joy. 17 times the word joy is used in this letter. Paul was not like, oh, I'm such stuck in prison. He's full of joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There it is again when Christ is coming back. And then look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And it's all about worship. To the glory and praise of God. Can we just say praise God today? You may be seated. Paul has a, a number of words to say to this beloved church plant at Philippi. But I think the most significant of them is this. In verse 5. We are called to be partners of the gospel. Partners of the gospel. Maybe today you're wondering about work and, and stressed out about work. Did you realize that you have a partner at work? It's God. God is your partner. And he will continue to do his work. The Apostle Paul calls that the Philippians his partners... And that, that's really peculiar because isn't Paul the one on the front lines? Isn't he the one in jail? So how could the church of Philippi that was so far away be actually be called partners in the gospel? Well, we're going to find that answer out. They'd supported him in prayer and financial gifts. But here's the great truth. Whether we're on the front lines or we're the ones behind the scenes, we are called partners in the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ unites us. When I look out at this audience, I see people from all sorts of different backgrounds and races, and, and, and we have different male and female, we have different ages, generations. It's awesome. 
And here's the thing, way more than any multicultural mindset that we have in Canada, here's what unites us. It's Jesus, isn't it? It's Jesus Christ. That's what ties us together. That's how we are partners in the gospel. And so we must grow in Christ. We must grow in Christ because we are joyful partners in the gospel. It's joyful because Jesus has saved us. Are you happy about that? You joyful about that? That he died on that cross for you. He rose again so you could have new life. When I came to this uh, church um, almost eight years ago, um, my, my two big prayers were, God, would you just give me a love for this people and would you, would you let us be gospel-driven? And when I, I said that, you might think, well, does that mean that we want to be evangelistic? And absolutely we want to be evangelistic. But I'm talking about something more robust than just being evangelistic. To be gospel-driven means that it's not just declaring about the, the justification of God through Jesus Christ, of him dying on that cross and, and legally making you right, not guilty before God. The gospel isn't just for our justification, but it's also for our sanctification, to make us more holy, to grow in Christ. The gospel is, is more than just shared convictions. It's more than just a coalition where often we just critique people that are not like us. The gospel gets back to the fact that I need God's grace every day to continue to grow. To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's see how we can become joyful partners in the gospel so we can grow in Christ. I'm going to give you three growth areas today, right from the text. You can follow along and see this. Three growth areas. The first one is this. Grow as a joyful partner in the gospel through saintly service. Those are two words you don't often hear together, saintly service. Let's see them here as we look, look at verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants, some of your Bibles have bond servants, some of your translations have slaves of Christ Jesus. Now, immediately, some of you don't like that term, slave, right? Slave? We're against slavery, aren't we? We're, we're definitely against slavery. Slavery especially takes the form nowadays in trafficking. So why would we want to adopt that term of slavery? It's used in the New American Standard. It's used in the, the, the New Living Translation that we are slaves of Christ Jesus. The, the Greek word is doulos. In fact, we have a word that's kind of been feminized in our culture. We have you heard of the term doula, like a doula? A doula is somebody who helps a pregnant lady um, and uh, helps them and assists them. Well, the word doulas in this passage goes beyond just a hired household help. In fact, uh, when we were talking about this, my youngest son, Luke, we talked about slaves in Christ Jesus this week in our family devotions. He didn't like that at all. He didn't want to be called a slave. I, I bet there's some of you who say, I don't want to be called a slave either. 
That is until you understand who your master is. That's the big difference maker, isn't it? In probably his best book um, called Slave, John MacArthur says this. Our slavery to Christ has radical implications for how we think and live. We have been bought with the price. We belong to Christ. We're part of a people for his own possession. We have been, we have been actually rescued from the marketplace of sin. Think about that. True Christianity is not about adding Jesus to my life. Instead, it's about devoting myself completely to him, submitting wholly to his will, and seeking to please him above all else. It demands dying to self and following the master, no matter the cost. In other words, to be a Christian is to be Christ's slave. Wow. Another Bible scholar says, there is no autonomy for, uh, for a slave. You do what the master's will is. And this might sound initially oppressive, but it isn't because our master's good, isn't he? And here's something even greater. Our master was a slave himself. Didn't Jesus say, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many? And that ransom was for you and for me. He bought our freedom with his own blood. So that when we talk about being slaves, we're slaves like him. That's awesome. But, but listen to this. It's more than this. So we're slaves of Christ Jesus. And if you don't really like that, just hang with me. Because the very next phrase, it says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So there's where you get saintly service. Now, some of us might think that saints are way up in heaven and they're praying for us. But did you realize that Paul, in the present tense, is calling the church at Philippi saints? Did you realize that we can actually extrapolate and actually believe today that you are a saint? Saint Roger right there. Saint Dayton. Saint Josiah. Saint Kara. You can use that when you go home. I'm a saint. Literally means holy one. Because God has declared you holy because of what Jesus Christ has done. The holy one, big H, holy one, Jesus has made you holy. So you are a saint. It's awesome. This is your identity in Christ Jesus. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. But it, does, it doesn't even just stop there. Look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So guess what? You are also a son and daughter in Christ Jesus. Slave, saint, and son. Wow! That's why Jesus can, can tie this all together. He says this in John 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from, get this, my father I have made known to you. We are sl slaves, we're saints, and we're sons, because the father has revealed his will for us, his plans. And his plans are to be in partnership with him in his gospel. It's awesome news. In fact, we are to grow to be like Christ 
And that's why we like Christ in chapter 2. We'll get, get to that in a number of weeks because we have this saintly service. So practically, how does this work out? Our, our, our saintly service is not done out of drudgery. It's not like, oh God, what do I have to do today for you? It's actually based on the love. That's why later on, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul prays this. It's my prayer, verse 9, look at this. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. When we go see the master face to face, we're going to be held accountable. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I love it. So all, all that is, in, is encapsulated, encapsulated in, in how we are to live out this saintly service. Our motivation is love. We need to know more and have discernment about what our master wants us to do. We, we want to do it in such a way that's excellent, with excellence. We give it our absolute best. This love helps us to do our very best and become the best people. It's pure, it's blameless, and it's fruitful. I mean, that's, that's the, the essence. And, and here's the thing. He even calls out, he even calls out way back in, in verse 1, he's, he even calls leaders to display this, overseers and deacons. This is the only time in, in all of his letters that he mentions the overseers and deacons in his greeting saying, you leaders need to leave in this saintly service. So, this love is our motivation for our saintly service. Can I challenge you that there's going to be something this week, whether it's serving your family or church family or in some way, and the and people are going to treat you horribly and ignore you and not be grateful at all, but if you're doing it, for them, you'll be disappointed. But if you're doing it for him, you'll remember that there's going to be a great reward someday. That love will motivate you. But it also leads us to the second growth area, and love leads us to prayer. That's the second growth area of our partnership in the gospel. It's prayer. To grow in prayer. Uh, you see this. Verses 3 and 4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in, in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. I mean, I'm in prison, and I'm praying, God, get me out of here, right? Paul's praying, I'm thankful, I'm joyful for you. And in verse 9, he's still praying that others would be filled with love. He's not praying, God, give them a really great plan to help me escape from jail. Right? He's saying, I just want you to have more love. And so I love this, that the prayer is, is the way that the church grows. And, and as I said, there's people praying for us in jail today. The Apostle Paul was praying for the Philippians. Prayer is so important. Last week, um, 135 of you committed to praying for us pastors one minute a day. 135. That blessed us uh, so much. And I got to tell you, this week was a lot 
better. I got this message and so filled with joy of this message so much quicker. Less fighting in our house. It's just like all sorts of stuff, right? I got to tell you, um, this morning, little, little um, Brian Holbrook, I think he's, what, two or three? He comes up to me in the Go Cafe after the service, and he said, hey, I'm praying for you. And I said, I, he said, I said well, what are you praying for me? He goes, I, I prayed this morning that when you got ready for church, you wouldn't be whining about it. the mouths of babes. And that's awesome. You want to pray that I don't whine. That's good. We need to pray for each other. You already heard. Like people are here today. Eileen's here. Mark was here because you've been praying for them. And, and Dr. Baxter in his book, he, he, t- he helps us to really kind of hone in on what our prayer should be. And these are two questions you should probably ask yourself. And I'll just read it. It says, will the answer to this prayer of mine glorify Christ? That's the, that's the end goal there in verse 11, right? And second of all, will the answer to this prayer of mine benefit the church? Paul wasn't just praying for himself. I already told you, I'd pray to get me out of jail. Paul's praying for the, the, the Philippians. Practically, let me give you an example. You come on Wednesday night to our prayer encounters, and you're going to get prayed for. In fact, we just started this. We've, we've developed these prayer cards, and you can write down a prayer request. And, and you can put your name on it or not. It's up to you. Put the date requested, and you'll notice that you're prayed for. And every time it's prayed for, we're going to pray for it at that night, and we're going to pray for it in our groups, and we're going to keep praying for it at least three times which means that you're going to get three prayers for the price of one, just writing it down. Isn't that awesome? And here's what I'd love for you to do. I would love, and Linda might kill me on this, but I would love for you to fill her inbox with answered prayers. So you, info at templebaptistchurch.ca, real simple, info at templebaptistchurch.ca, you send her and say, God answered my prayer. And we're going to try to track this as best as we can, and we're going to, at the end of the year, hopefully my goal is that we'll have a stack of all the answers yes, and the answers no, and the answers still to be answered, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Because I want to show you how much God answers prayer. He does. He's a great God. So we grow. What are the two growth areas? Service and prayer. But guess what? You can do that and not even be a Christian. You could do that and not even be a partner in the gospel. There's lots of people in religion who, are, who serve. Lots of people who pray. This is the most important growth area. You need to grow in grace. You need to grow in grace. This is actually where the partnership in the gospel really hones in. Let's jump back to verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this grace and this peace is not just well wishes. It's not like, ah, just, I hope you get some grace. I hope you get some peace. No, this is foundational. Grace. 
This is what you have to keep going back and telling yourself every day. I grow in grace, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I never get away from grace. This past week, I, was, um, I went to see my physiotherapist. I told you a couple weeks ago about my tennis elbow, right? And uh, so, um, now I've had a relationship with this person for quite some time, so you need to understand that there's some context. And so my physiotherapist asked, so, you know, how you doing? And I said, well, better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? I said, well, I deserve how? And she's like, you know. And I, she says, no, you don't deserve hell. I said, yes, I do. I, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've done things wrong. And God's perfection, her standard is perfection, 100%. And I said, you know, um, even the great saints, and I said, name one. And she said, Mother Teresa. I said, not perfect still, right? Yeah. So how are you going to get to perfection? And I said, there's only one way. It's through Jesus. He was perfect. Now, that wasn't my lead, okay? You understand, I've had three years or four years of relationship that I can say these things, and she's kind of used to me saying these kinds of things. But it usually gets really quiet in the room of, of the physiotherapist when I say these things. And I wasn't saying it just to be evangelistic. I was reminding myself that I need grace every day. Do you remind yourself of that? Because isn't our service based on grace? Isn't our prayers based on his grace? That we actually have access to the Father? We can go to the throne of grace with boldness and confidence? Isn't it our gratitude's based on his grace? It really is about his grace. See, our, our, our partnership in the gospel is not based on the amount of billable hours of service to the Lord, but it's grace. And it's a grace that's pointed to someone. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it Jesus who enables us to have this grace? For it is by grace you have been saved, not of works, but belief in him, isn't it? And because Jesus, as I told you earlier, was a slave, wasn't he? But he also was the only holy one, and he certainly was the son of God. You and I can be partners in the gospel. Now, I'd be remiss to remind you of this. As I said earlier, look at verse 6. We'll close with this. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is the majority partner in the gospel. He's the majority partner in the gospel. He will finish his work. He always gets his work done. Always. He's getting his work done in you. And he's getting his work done across this globe. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up as we sing about God's amazing grace. But maybe today you came in here and you 
were so discouraged and you were, you know, just feeling down, may I remind you today that you are a partner in the gospel. Like, how, how much greater does it get? Your, your partnership is bringing good news to people. That's literally what the gospel is. So that will encourage you to continue on in this partnership because God will continue on his partnership with you. And some of you might say, well, John, I'm not sure I am a partner. I'm not sure I can classify myself as a slave, a saint, or a son or daughter of God, a child of God. Today, in the quietness of your heart, say, Jesus, I'm going to trust in you. I want to believe in you by your grace. Nothing that I do to deserve. Please forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. I've decided to follow Jesus, as we sang earlier. Let's pray. God, whether we need to remember this great truth or we're partners in your gospel or whether it's for the very first time joining you in this partnership, speak deep into our hearts right now in the moment in the stillness God, may we now celebrate your amazing grace. May we never get far from it. May we tell ourselves every day about your grace. We pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. God's people said, amen.